Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled kiss Ooh. oh well that means keep it so simple finances okay and my guest is entrepreneur and author from chicago illinois in the united states fred green welcome fred good morning how are you doing well this is a short book around 60 pages or so and it covers some of the basics of life that most of us should have learned from our parents however as a parent who has been through a lot you personally uh, you decided you needed to share maybe a little more personal touch and in information about your history and about the finances why did this book get written well, I was in my own businesses for 40 years and, and owned a number of businesses. In fact, when this happened, I owned three businesses. And when the crash came in 2008, 2009, I woke up one morning and realized that uh, I had lost three businesses, two homes, my last commercial building, and about $10 million. Ouch. And at that point, I knew I had to do something to help the rest of the world. But I think it was the good Lord nudging me along to do that. So you felt a compulsion to share your story and and had some compassion for other people in the same predicament. You uh, certainly were, well, I guess the easy way to say it is over your head in debt uh, at that time. Well, the businesses were. I personally really wasn't over in debt, but that doesn't make any difference. Because when you own companies totally, you have to personally guarantee them. So when the companies go, they're going to take you to the to the cleaners along with it because you have personally guaranteed the loans but yeah it was it was a ton of money but what happened was my last business was electronics and we were actually putting circuit boards together for people and selling them it was my newest business it was about eight years old we had reached two million dollars in sales and we were actually breaking even making money and i needed one more year to pay off very expensive leases at about $25,000 a month. Hmm. And when the crash came, we went from $2 million in sales to about $400,000 in sales in less than a week. That's incredible. Have you always had a background as an entrepreneur? Did you start off in business early and, and begin developing other businesses? So I started off in business early. When I was 24, I went to work for Sony selling electronic calculators. And in 12 months, I became a regional manager of five states and ended up managing the whole Midwest for them. Wow. Your easy approach, I would say, on this in keep it simple, keep it so simple, the KISS method in finances. Uh, there are some other acronyms that have been uh, associated with KISS. Uh, yours is certainly a, a not unique, but a different and a, ref a refreshing approach. Keep it simple. This is uh, something that everyone who has a life wants to do, and that's get out of debt. What is your recommendation there? Well, really, if you follow the guidelines of the book, first thing is we've been romanced for, I don't know, 40 years, I think, into credit cards. Credit card interest is anywhere from probably 18 to 25%. In mm -hmm. a late payment, you're probably at 35%. <clears throat> so the average American is probably paying almost half of their monthly payments in interest to different things which is way out of line because they could be using that money to do what they want to do. We need to stop letting the banks romance us and get things done. 
And the easiest thing to do is start with credit cards one at a time and get that done and then review the rest of your finances, which the whole book covers, including mortgages, because we've all been romanced in the 30-year mortgages where somebody's paying about 75% interest on the first 10 years, way out of line. It is, and I see ads on television all the time about if you've got a an automobile, we'll loan money against it, and, and those types of quick loans. Have you investigated any of that, or have you known anyone that has participated in borrowing money from those lenders? I guess they're called payday loans, and I, they're Correct. even more vicious than the other guys I understand. Now, I have not personally done it. <clears throat> I'm sorry, and at the moment... I don't know anybody else who has done that, but I do know what you've done is anytime you pledge anything, you're now pledging your car. If your car was paid for and you now go to a payday loan and borrow $1,000 and for some reason you don't pay that back, I'm sure there's plenty of fine print in there that says they're going to be taking your car away from you just as fast as they can. And the legality is on their sides and unfortunately the courts are on their sides. And I think also there there is no cap on the on the... Uh, interest that they can they can charge. I'm not positive about that, but I do know of some people that worked in that industry, and I think it was not uncommon to have a 40% interest rate on money borrowed. Yeah, and that's absolutely outrageous. There there were laws at one time that they couldn't do that, but I think those have changed drastically. And the reason I think they've changed drastically was because of the credit card companies, because when you do a couple of late payments with credit card companies. You are correct. Your interest can jump up to 30%, 35%, and that's absolutely outrageous. When you think that every time you pay it, $1 out of $1, $0.35 cents of that is interest. And it, with credit card companies, you don't get any principal interest uh, whatsoever of the amount you actually owe because if you're making a minimum payment, it's like 98% interest. Wow. Wow. Your second chapter, Do a Monthly Budget, something that's difficult to discipline yourself to do. Uh, in my particular instance, my household, we have a budget, but it's all it's not written down in paper. Do you suggest it's written down in a tangible form? Yeah, I've given them a format to do that in. I've made some suggestions to them. There are a number of little things, such as allowances and things, that you should go back and actually do in cash. Give yourself an allowance, and let me just give you a quick example. Let's say your allowance for the month is $200 for anything you want. It's your money, and you do it in cash, and when that $200 is gone, if it's gone in 10 days, then it's gone. You've got to wait another 30 days to get it. If you learn to budget that, you now have $200 to spend over a 30-day period of time. And I do believe that most of us have spoiled our children, so they're not used to any of that either. So it would certainly be beneficial to put your children on a cash on a cash um, allowance and then when it's gone, it's gone, and make them learn it. It's not going to be easy for some things in the beginning. But if you don't start doing this, you're never going to get out of debt. You live in a large city that has public transportation. Does everyone need an automobile? And if they don't, or if they do have one, what is the best approach on getting an automobile and staying debt-free? Well, I, I do have a chapter on automobiles. And, and if you have a lot, very good credit, your interest rate on automobiles is not too too bad, except that the automobile dealers are making a fortune, and they tell you they're not making anything. They tell you they're selling a car at cost, and then you look at the $20 million building that they're in that they just built, right. and it's pretty hard to believe that they're selling you that car at cost, okay? <laughs> so the best thing you can do is pay off your car loan as soon as you have paid off your credit cards. Uh, you used to have to pay late payments and things, and uh, I do not believe there are any penalties for prepaying anything today in today's world. So uh, you can pay that. Let's say your let's say your car payment's three hundred dollars. Your credit cards are now paid off. 
it's you could pay for an example six hundred dollars a month and get that car paid off it's done you still have plenty of expenses when you look at that expense sheet today just look at the cost of keeping up an automobile gas oil uh, insurance i mean there's plenty of cost to keeping up an automobile on top of making a car payment. And I believe, I'm, I can't remember precisely, but I believe the average car payment today is somewhere around $400 a month. Wow. I've been able to avoid that by driving cars that are, are mm, a little older and debt-free. You know, that's, uh, that's, well, that's been that's my, my, my recommendation. Choice. Buy a car that you can pay cash for. Take Fan- the money that you would be paying on that car and save it. And two years later, you can buy a more expensive car and you can buy it for cash because you can now trade that car in and pay cash for it. And if you keep doing that, if you get to the point where you really want, you know, a fairly expensive car, then you can go pay cash for it rather than let them finance you and, and romance you in the financing. If you notice with everything, mortgages, car loans and everything, they keep increasing the period of time that you can pay for trying to keep the loan down so that they can make the interest that they want. And if they make a payment or if, if an, an individual makes a payment above and beyond the basic uh, you know, basic basic payment. Uh, that doesn't go to interest, does it? It goes to principal. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't believe it's there's any penalty whatsoever anymore in prepaying anything. And if your payment was $300, regular payment, so a good portion of that's going to interest, but not on a card, not like not like on the credit card, but it's still it's still there. But if you paid say an extra $300 a month, that would go 100% to principal. They just need to keep very good records. Yeah, you know, a, a simple example would be, let's say that you know you owe $3,000 in principal on your car, and you can get this information all the time from the companies and off the computer, and that means that if you were able to pay $300 a month and you added $300 a month to your payment for every month, 10 months from now, your car is totally paid for and you don't owe them anything. That's phenomenal. And the same principle also works with house payments. Uh, if you have a, say, a 30-year mortgage and, and uh, do an extra payment or two, that can bring it down to 10 or 15 years of actual payout. That is correct. But the biggest thing you want to do, if, if you're in a 30-year mortgage and you have the ability to refinance it, the first thing you want to do is look into a, a, a mortgage of not longer than 20 years. And mm-hmm. an ideal mortgage in today's world would be 15 years. So the book recommends the same thing that I recommended before. Everybody doesn't need a million-dollar house to live in on their way up. So if you buy homes you can afford and you pay for them and they're totally paid for, and now you wish to buy whatever, a bigger house, a nicer house, whatever it turns out to be, you've got a home that is totally paid for and may be able to start out with maybe a 10-year or 15-year, $10,000, $20,000 mortgage, and they get paid off very quickly in comparison to doing a 30-year mortgage where, like I said, a huge amount of that money, it's, it's, a, it's a huge amount of money. It's at least 50% goes to interest on every payment. Most people don't realize that. When no, you... they don't. I did, as I said to you, I didn't realize that. At one time, I had something like $8 million worth of mortgages on commercial buildings. Ouch. Ouch. What is the uh, the hope for this book? Who did you want to reach with this? I, I'm, I'm thinking this is information that maybe even a, a teenager might benefit from knowing. Okay, I've been told I have two four-star ratings, one by Pacific Review and one by World Review, and everybody recommends that everybody can take advantage of the book. And the reason I think wealthy people can take advantage of the book those that are super wealthy pay cash for everything anyway, but a lot of people don't know that. Right. But those that are just wealthy are probably leveraged to the hilt. And if they read it, they will even make more money and even have a better life. The book of my hope 
is that every person who gets it, and I believe everybody can get it and read it, that the good Lord will bless them with some kind of blessings. Fabulous. So you have a recap in Chapter 6. Explain that to my listeners. Is, is that the, what comes around goes around? That's and, the one. Last chapter in the book is titled, What Comes Around Goes Around and You Need to Give and Receive. So uh, after 50 years of doing these various things, I will guarantee you that what comes around goes around. The better you treat people, the better you're going to be treated. The worse you treat people, the worse you're going to be treated. So the better you treat them, the better you're going to be treated, and usually it turns out to be better for you than you would have ever believed in your life. And the same is when you give to receive. Everybody thinks they have to give money, and they really do not have to give money. They can give their time. They can give uh, lots of different things. They can volunteer at churches. I volunteer one day a week at the care center for Willow Creek Church, which is one of the largest churches in the United States. And that time is just as valuable as giving cash. And if you know somebody who's in trouble, you can help them individually. All of those things help. But something people really don't realize and I don't think take time to do in our world is to volunteer to something that has a great cause is just as important as giving funds to somebody. Fred, in a couple of sentences, recap your book for us. The easiest description of the book, it was written to help everybody. It's easy to read, it's easy to follow, and it's easy to do. And if you follow it step by step, meaning chapter by chapter, I believe you will be happier, healthier, and have a much more prosperous life, and the good Lord will bless you even more. Super. Well, excellent advice. The book, again, is very simple to the point, but has the practical advice that most of us need in our finances. The title is KISS, subtitled Keep It So Simple, Finances, and my author has been Fred Green. Fred, my listeners need to get a copy of your book. How do they do so? It's online at Amazon. It's online at Barnes & Noble. The book was published by Ex Libris. You, I, you, you can do that. I have my own website. It's called Fred Green Books. It's plural, fredgreenbooks.com. All the information on the book pops up. Uh, it's being expanded. The two uh, four-star reviews are in there. An interview with you will end up showing on there. Um, an interview with Stu Taylor, which was earlier, will show up on there. So they can get a lot of information, and if they really like it at that point, they can go right to Ex Libris and buy the book if they wish. Phenomenal. Fred, is there another book in the future? Do you feel like this is uh, something that is a cause that you want to continue advising people about? Yeah, I started writing my second book, and I think it's as important as the first book. It's called Scams and Investments 101. Scams and Investments. The reason I'm writing wow. that book is nobody thinks they're being scammed. and The scams that go on in today's world are unbelievable. And I explained to them the more money they make, the bigger the scams get. So I've been involved with scams where I had $100,000 invested, but I never got a penny back on. Hmm. So if the world, as the world goes larger and the population grows larger and people become less and less educated in what they're doing, and the scams today are just unbelievable due to the Internet and easy access and electronic processing of credit cards just makes it a paradise for the scammers. Absolutely. Fred, thank you for joining me today. I remember, again, that website is fredgreenbooks.com. Go there and uh, find out about this interview and about his subsequent books that will be coming in the future. Thank you, Fred, for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Honored to visit with you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita. 
with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live La Bella Vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is The Crossroads of Space and Time. And joining me from Nevada, Iowa, is the authors Charles and Irene Nickerson. Welcome to the program, sirs. Thank you. I didn't mean to call you a Sir Irene. Uh, you are the daughter of Charles. Apparently, you've had something to do with this book, and I haven't been able to uh, talk to you in advance to find out what that is. But, Charles, tell me a little of this book. What is the genre of book this is? How would you describe it? Well, it's science fiction mystery. Uh, the main character, uh, Tiberius, or Ty, is a uh, Secret Service agent for the Brilliant Secret Service. He's kind of a spy. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And and why, why? looking at your background, you have been in the uh, the uh, teaching profession. You have a master's in arts. You have a degree in history. How did this come together? What was it that, you know, sparked your interest in science fiction and, and this type of storyline? Well, it's really funny. I'm a classically trained historian. I was a missile launch officer in the United States Air Force for 10 years, and I just, I created these characters uh, when I was a kid. Hmm. They're actually based on a small toy my dad bought me when I was three years old. Really? Well, that's fascinating. Now, Irene, since you have had contribution to this novel, I'm uh, thinking back to childhood and gifts and things. Maybe Barbie dolls. Was there anything that influenced you to contribute to this in a story way? Well, my dad tried to tell me the stories uh, one time when I was in high school. And I remember him saying to me, I'm telling you these stories so you can tell them to my grandkids. And my first thought was, I have a test tomorrow. Do you really think anything you're saying to me is (laughs) going to sink in long enough that I can tell my kids? Hmm. So I told him he needed to start writing them down. So when he did, he was doing really good. And then he'd introduce a character that I would see as had very much potential. And he's like, yeah, and they're just going to be a background character. We're not going to hear from them again. And so I'd yell at him. Wow. So I just, I just helpful <laughs> characterization, basically. Oh, we'll call it chiding. We won't call it yelling because I don't think there was any major family conflict over this. I don't believe uh, from what I have had in conversation with you. You're a theater major, and so you have a creative uh, bend toward uh, all things creative. The story itself is 260-some pages in length. Um, this is also a an offshoot of uh, previous works you have done. Is that right, Charles? That's correct. Uh Tiberius is a 
tertiary character in the other works that are based on my main character, Barry Maximus, who's his cousin, which begins with The Legend Begins, which is the first book in the series, and that falls into Andreas Prime, The Legend of Home, and then a companion volume that goes with this is Empress Angelina's Quest, which is the third book in the Barry Maximus series. In the first of of your series of uh, four books. The back of your book begins a read such as this. It says, Captain Bancroft couldn't believe this resort. The beaches were pristine. The rooms were comfortable. Everything was so relaxing. The only area off limits was the northern beaches and on uh, an area they called the Trench. Where is this story? Where does it take place? What's the setting? Well, that's actually at the end of the book, and I don't know why they use that, but the the setting is actually takes place on a cruise spacecraft traveling between planets. They're heading towards the Aldrin system. All right. Uh, the Aldrin system is a system of planets that had been populated by an advanced race, and then one day, for some strange reason that no one knows, the population of those planets just got up and left. Just left. In mass. Okay. And abandoned the planet. And that left a mystery, because why does a civilization just one day get up and walk into history and leave nothing behind? Hmm. And since... Uh, and that is the, mis- that that's the mystery. We've this country with the Anastasia. Just one day, several towns in the southwest that were associated with this Indian tribe just one day got up in mass and walked into the desert and were never heard from again. Wow. Part of your history history passion that's uh, filtered through into this story. You have uh, you have uh, written other other novels and uh, have this uh, wonderful bend for creativity. You mentioned this story actually began in your mind when you were a child. Did you keep notes? Did you did you have a, a diary system or a journaling system that reminded you of the details that you have shared in your storyline? No, they were just locked in my head. Uh, I was a very sickly child. Spent a lot of time in hospitals when I was young mm. uh, due to asthma. And one of the toys my dad got me was a three-inch toy that I thought was a bear when I was a little kid. It turned out to be a bottle of a giant ground cloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a kid, I thought he was just a weird-looking bear. Right. And I, as a kid, decided that he had certain attributes, such as a layer of bone between his first and second layers of skin, that made him impregnable to, like, blades and things like that. And unbeknownst to me, when I was a little kid, and after further research when I was older, it turned out that the giant ground sloths actually had that layer of bone. Really? Between Mm. their first and second layers of skin. You know, it just, uh, I don't know how that worked, but but that's where the uh, Ursa Maximus species came from in my books, was that little toy. Phenomenal. Irene, as you contributed to the book and uh, in looking back over the storyline, is there a, a one incident in there or some action scenes that you think really stand out in the way it was told? Well, 
Which book? I'm having trouble thinking of one for Crossroads, but I know in The Legend Begins, there's a scene where Barry is out with, I think, the first officer, and they were just supposed to do a quick fly, just a scout thing, and they ran into trouble, and that was my favorite scene in that book. In that book. In in The Crossroads Space and Time, Charles, which of those... Uh, nuances that you have have crafted. Which do you think is going to be the most interesting? Is there a relationship? Is there a story? Is there yeah, an action uh, scene? His partner is uh, named Babs. Her code name is Aphrodite. And her code name is Aphrodite. She is hmm. a crazy beautiful member of their race. And uh, he's her love interest in the book. And in Crossroads, there's uh, point where she gets hurt and Ty kind of uh, loses it a little bit and goes after the people that hurt her. And when he gets back, he explains why he does what he does because, of course, she's upset because he left her and, you know, she's afraid he's gone and won't come back. Mm-hmm. The books, all of the books, but especially Crossroads, is about family, about love, about duty, about honor. All the books have these elements because I think they're important. Would you uh, would you think that might be a, a carryover from your time in the Air Force? Perhaps that's that 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 sense of duty. Uh, that's part of it, but it's also the way I was raised. Beautiful. Uh, the, these are things that in my family were cornerstones. Faith, honor, and duty uh, were just things that were expected, and I think that there are things that are very important that we need to show our children. Beautifully thought. And if you were to describe the ideal reader for this, is there an age limit or an age beginning that uh, would find this uh, an attractive story to to immerse themselves in? Uh, my daughter likes to point out it's really designed for high schoolers. Uh, there are some scenes in the book that I think are, may not be appropriate for anyone under 13. Hmm. Uh, they are not explicit, but they are uh, hinted. Sure. Because, I mean, I do have a married couple in the book. Gotcha. Have you had any feedback from not this story necessarily, but your other books, uh, as far as your writing style? Any any responses that have encouraged you to keep going and writing more? Uh, the people that have read my books like them. It's just like any other thing you're trying to break into. This is, you know, writing is a difficult field to break into because there's a million good authors out there. Yes. And, you know, anytime you're trying to break into writing, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, if you're doing it because you're hoping to get rich, you're just really deluding yourself. The reason a person writes is because they want to be a storyteller. They want to tell their story. And uh, that's what I want. I want people to read my stories because I want to tell them. And I've got two more books I'm working on. Of the, I've got a prequel I'm writing, which, take my advice, never write a prequel. Uh, <laughs> and I've got a follow-on to this book that is finished and I'm editing. It, 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 writing is like anything else. It's almost a disease. <laughs> right. You, to do it. it. It's just something you, once you start, you have to do. 
you have to have a passion for it, for sure. And you've described this as a science fiction novel where the main characters are bears. That's unique in itself. Were there any challenges that you weren't anticipating in writing this this specific novel, The Crossroads of Space and Time? The only thing is, um, as a trained historian, I'm very worried about plagiarism. And I do use the idea of gate travel mm-hmm. in this book. So in the, I had to be careful to lay out the historical foundation of why that is something that is not owned by anybody. I mean, Edward Rice Burrow was the first one to use the idea of gate travel in his writing. Yes. And then it's been used by Gene Roddenberry. It's been used by people who did Babylon 5, by Stargate SG-1. I mean, it's been used by authors... For over a hundred years, I, I wanted to point out that it's really, it's in the genre, it's not owned by anybody. Correct. Wonderful job on presenting this. This is, uh, again, a sort of an extension of four books in a series that you've already completed. The title of this one is The Crossroads of Space and Time. My listeners will want to get a copy of this or maybe get a preview of how the story unfolds. Share with us where we can get a copy. Uh, you can get it from Exlieber. Or Amazon.com carries it. And on Amazon, it's available both in hard copy and for your Kindle, if you have a Kindle. Personally, I like hard copies, but Kindles are great, too. I think if you read it, you'll love it because it is a good story. It has everything. It's a love story. It's a mystery. It has action. It's just a good story. And more to come in the future. You've already uh, hinted that there may be something in the works or something is in the works and will be released soon. Do you have a website developed yet, or is that something that's in the future? It's something that's still being worked on. The next book in the series is going to be called Homecoming. Wonderful. should hopefully be out sometime this fall or early next spring. Thank you for joining me today. Again, my author... Charles and Irene, last name Nickerson, N-I-C-K-E-R-S-O-N, so you can do a search under Charles Nickerson, and in this particular release, Charles and Irene Nickerson, and find out about what has been released, what's available in the marketplace, and how to get a copy of it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, sir. Best of luck in the future. Thanks, Irene, and best of luck in your career as well. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. 
The title of the book is The Experimental Baking Book. And joining me from Brenham, Texas, in the United States, my author, Justin Wyand. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Most appreciated. I appreciate the offer of being on your uh, radio show. This is an important book, at least from your standpoint. As an author, it's important that you get your message out. What is your background that prepared you to to uh, title a book such as this, The Exper- Experimental Baking Book? What is it about? The Experimental Baking Book is... Um is about taking, you know, people have always been uh, afraid of, you know, experimenting, but they do it all the time with cooking. So the concept of this book is I said, well, let me try to make it easy for people on how to create new stuff because baking is a form of, of science, chemistry. So, and then I try to help them out by, you know, helping them convert it over. And also, too, as well, if science was one of my favorite subjects and am I studying a lot of people are afraid to try something new. I have a uh, a relative, I'll call it that. Uh, actually, it's my spouse. She loves to follow recipes and does a great job at that. But when it comes to kind of uh, breaking loose and doing something that's maybe a little more creative, she's uh, more intimidated than than uh, than most people who follow recipes. That's who this book is directed toward. Is that correct? Correct. It's from uh, the target audience for this book is from young adults all the way up to adults, from beginner bakers all the way up to experts. And to where it kind of hits a broad brand of, uh, you know, it makes it easy on people just when it comes to, you know, baking. It's because, like you said, is baking can be scary in some size or fashion. Yeah, your book is a, a relatively short book, just a little over 60 pages. Did you include in there recipes or did you include concepts? Describe for my listeners the style of book that you have written and how long it took you to complete it. Well, the style of the book is uh, it's full color. It has a mixture of recipes, kind of some insights. It has uh, some tables at the end, baking tables that have like emergency substitution, conversion, liquid like liquid volume conversion, um, as well as uh, measurement scales for production level and abbreviation tables. So I kind of throw in some of the useful tips in there that most people always wanted to know. Like, okay, what's this? What makes a what makes a pound? Two cups make a pound, and that starts you out in the production scale. And it also is uh, full color. It's, um, it has a mixture of like little over 25 some recipes in there and full color uh, pictures in there too as well. The concept of the book, it kind of wasn't done over like an overnight like most books are. It was kind of an afterthought at first. It's just something that stuck in my head for a while and I kept thinking about it. And uh, as a quote from Bruce Lee that's in my book, as he likes to say, um, if you spend too much time thinking about a thing, you never get it done. And that's how this book was. It's, you know, I kept thinking about it, said, oh, yeah, be a good base. Had, uh, you know, friends and family tell me, oh, you should do a book. And I said, okay, sure enough. And, you know, then finally found Bruce's quote and said, you know what, he's right. Got down, got it all done, um, spaced out between uh, a year base around that ballpark because it kind of started off my 
sophomore started back in 2000. I started taking one one cake uh, one cake recipe. I saw. I was like, okay, it had too much uh, vodka in it. I said, well, let me see if I can cut that down into smaller measurements. Like I said, half a cup of vodka, maybe do like say a fourth a cup of chocolate liqueur and a fourth a cup of amaretto, like uh, like an almond liqueur. And sure mm-hmm. enough, I got like a different result. And it just took it off from there. Actually, to, for my listeners, you are also involved as a uh, as a food service specialist in your industry as well, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm a food service manager for the Brenham State Support Living Center in Brenham, Texas. And before that, I was a cook and caring associate for uh, St. Joseph Regional Hospital in Bryan, Texas. And then during my college years, I work at Sam Houston State University as a baker assistant, cook, shoe chef area for that. So I kind of made this book. It's kind of fell in my profession that I have chose. Sure. And would you call yourself more of a chef than a cook, or is is that a a misnomer or a misdirected term for what you do? Well, when it comes down to chefs and cooks and everything, I personally like to look at myself as, you know, being a baker, but with chefs, they um, have the concept of they do everything, like from cooking, baking, sauteing, other oh, two. So, I mean, chefs have that title base, and then you'll have, like, your cooks. You know, they do strictly the cooking part. Because if you actually go into the baking industry itself, it's its own profession because you have your cake designers, your fondue, sculptors, everything. You know, it's, I would like to consider myself in the baking cabinet you know, as sure. a baker, you know, the dessert. The, the, the guy who actually gets something that you can eat and uh, probably are uh, comfortable with the results. Is is uh, the the menu or the uh, concepts in your book, is this something a beginning uh, cook or recipe pursuer can really benefit from? You mentioned liqueurs and other things. Uh, is there more in there than desserts? Uh, yes, sir. There is a mixture of the books breaks down into five chapters the first section hits your breakfast and bread items so i have like from lager pear cakes to beer bread and then i kick into different uh bunk cakes starting off with one cake mix you know one cake and showing you how to add in different cakes results and then it goes into cookies it has the four basic cookies in there chocolate chip oatmeal peanut butter and sugar as well as cheesecake section and the cheesecake section is my personal favorite because I teach you how I take after-dinner drinks, which are alcohol beverages consumed after you eat, like at restaurants, like, for example, Mudslide. Right. Show you how to take bartender recipes and put it actually inside a cheesecake. So you can actually, instead of drink your actually favorite after-dinner drink, you can actually eat it ah. as well. And now do you have substitutes for and, for the alcohol uh, content, or is it uh, something that is a preferred way to, to make or deliver the cake? Well, with the cake base is um, that with a different alcohol, most people, if you think about cake, alcohol cakes, it's like most people know like rum balls, rum cakes and stuff. This book here takes it not just one form of alcohol, like one look you know, like rum base, it expands the people horizon saying, Hey, look, you know, it's, there's other liqueurs out there that you can use in dessert base. You know, it's just fun to help give it extra flavor, extra moisture, 
And uh, a lot of the recipes in there, too, are easy. Um, I actually had a review done by uh, Pacific Book Review, and the reviewer said this. She said, was like, okay, I can either judge, you know, most baking books are, you know, designed by topography, photos. Yes. You know, the layout of the book. But she made it fair by trying my recipes in my book. And she said that it was, uh, as she likes to put it, stress, uh, delicious. <laughs> and uh, she said they're easy to follow, uh, made clear and sense, not really complex based. And uh, it's just, she's familiar too. It just adds that extra wildfire, extra wild factor to, uh, you know, your desserts to hyphen it up. Absolutely great. Now, is this something that you have completed and feel inspired that perhaps in the near future you may have a sequel to this uh, approach, the experimental baking, baking book? Actually, to where I already have a sequel in mind. If this book does go off and fans want to have a sequel to it, I do have a sequel in mind for it, and it's called, you know, the experimental baking book, Anything Goes is what the sequel is going to be phenomenal it's and that and the concept of that one is since the experimental baking book teaches you the basic concepts like it hit the basic category in the sequel no dessert is safe mm. it's um you know from rice krispies cobblers everything i'll show you how to take any recipe dessert wise you know and add some type of you know unique wow factor to the cakes just to help pies or whatever to help give it uh you know that extra wow factor right and would the uh, way to describe your book as taking the complex in baking and making it simple especially in the dessert category would that be a way to kind of synopsize what you've done yes sir um because it it just you know because baking can be you know tough you know and hard to do a few times it you know, and this what this book does, it takes, you know, and the thing is, too, baking can get expensive base and everything, too, as well. So with this book, the experimental baking book, it also has to make it easier on people because I do from homemade recipes to where you even use cake mixes. So really? you have a mixture between both of using because not a lot of everyone wants to take the time and do like a full chocolate chip cookie recipe. There's people that do but some people are not. So I have recipes in here that take from using, like, say, a chocolate cake mix, uh, instant jello pudding, oil, eggs, and, like, fourth a cup of, like, two different liqueurs in there, and that's it. So simple, basic, and easy for, for people that, you know. It's just a good variety of recipes because not everyone, you know, it's because it's always good to know the homemade version of it. But there's always some people want to know, oh, is there quicker ways or is there less a cost ways of doing it, too, as well, just to make it more interesting and exciting. Sure. And and also with this basic concepts that you have uh, portrayed in your book, they can perhaps experiment on their own. That's the encouragement of the uh, title, the Experimental Baking Book. They don't have to follow your recipe necessarily. They can take the concepts and develop their own. Correct. And uh, you're correct on that. That's the actual whole concept of the book is, you know, it's because like, it, like you know, stated earlier, it's, you know, baking can be scary. You know, they always want to add that one thing to like, say, they have their, they've inherited their grandmother's pecan recipe. Right. 
but they want to add something else to it just to kind of give looks and challenges and make it more wow, but they're afraid they don't know how to do so. Yep. And that's where my book comes in to help them to get used to substituting out ingredients and adding stuff to it so where they can, you know, follow them and pursue their own ideas in a recipe. No, just to help break that ice because it, and also too, with this book, Area 2, every recipe that's in my experimenting book, I have tested several times living up to the science expectation. I've got the same results over and over and over again in, in each of the recipes. Because I make sure that, okay, people are going to be looking at my book, testing my recipes and everything. I have to make sure that they will be right. And I've had a few friends and family members try out the recipes, and they've actually came out with, uh, you know, the exact same results. Excellent. Well, this is, a, this is a great encouragement for those who might be a little intimidated by the idea of cooking or being a chef. The title of the book, again, is The Experimental Baking Book, and my author, Justin Wyan. Where can we get a copy of your book? Right now, it's, uh, you can get it on uh, Amazon.com. Um, underneath the title, The Experimental Baking Book, they have paper and e-copy. And on Barnes & Noble's website, um, you can get it there underneath The Experimental Baking Book. I'm in the process right now of getting into bookstores right now. But the main areas right now is Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. They can also do a search under your name, Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, and Wyan, W-E-Y-A-N-D. And uh, they'll be able to locate this book and anything you uh, produce in the future. So thank you for sharing your background and your story. All right. Thank you. I appreciate being on the show. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Stin next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.